Welcome to the Codcast from Commonwealth Magazine. I'm Michael Jonas. It was Election Day on Tuesday in several Massachusetts cities, including Boston and Lawrence. In both cities, voters narrowed the field to two finalists for the November election for mayor. In Boston, Mayor Marty Walsh rolled up big numbers over second-place finisher Tito Jackson, the Roxbury District City Councilor who he'll now face in November. In Lawrence, incumbent Mayor Dan Rivera topped the field, but not by a wide margin. What's more, his opponent in November will be the city's former mayor, William Lantigua. Four years ago, Rivera narrowly beat Lantigua, a colorful and roguish figure. Now it's rematch time. Joining me are Yawu Miller, senior editor of the Bay State Banner, and Ted Seifer, a contributing writer for Commonwealth, who wrote a piece in our summer issue on Rivera's first term in Lawrence and the looming mayor's race there. Yawu Miller, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Michael. And Ted Seifer, welcome to you as well. Thanks. Good to be here. So let's dig in and, and get a little sense of what, uh, what yesterday's mayoral results mean uh, going ahead to the November election. So in Boston, uh, we had uh, the field for mayor narrowed to two, but with no really huge surprise, Mayor Marty Walsh ran away with, uh, with the race yesterday in first place. Uh, uh, City Councilor Tito Jackson pretty far behind, but uh, he will advance, as most people thought he would, to the, uh, to the final election. Uh, and then in Lawrence, uh, the incumbent mayor, Dan Rivera, topped the field there. And coming in second is the former mayor, uh, Willie Lantigua, uh, who Rivera defeated four years ago. So it sets up a pretty interesting rematch. Uh, so let's just sort of, you know, start in Boston. Uh, yeah, we, uh, as I said, most people expected Marty Walsh to run away with things he did. You know, there was a lot of talk ahead of time that this was kind of a an expectations game to be played, you know, in terms of the margin of victory and, and uh, you know, how how strong could Tito Jackson run despite uh, all the advantages of incumbency that, that Marty Walsh has? How do you, how do you read the results from, from yesterday? Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's sort of a confirmation of, of, of that advantage of him having, uh, of Walsh having $4 million in his campaign account, whereas Jackson never had more than a hundred thousand. Um, you know, also, uh, J- Walsh's base of support in Dorchester, South Boston, tends to turn out more in higher numbers in a preliminary election. Um, there were uh, three contested city council uh, races that drove turnout. They accounted for about 40% of the turnout. The turnout was, I think, 55,000. So 40% of that came from those three districts, three out of nine districts. Um, one of them, the highest turnout that was in South Boston, about 9,000 people turned out for that district race. That really like sort of helped tip the ball in Walsh's favor as well. But my understanding is that he also did fairly well in predominantly um, people of color uh, precincts as well. Um, just kind of overwhelming force, uh, tons of volunteers, uh, city workers, others. Um, you know, a lot of money to spend, a lot of people to coordinate volunteers, uh, multiple voter contacts, phone calls, door knocking. You know, it was pretty incessant uh, in the last few weeks. Yeah, and Ted, how about up in up in Lawrence? You wrote a great piece for us in the magazine in the summer issue. That was uh, sort of a preview of the of the mayoral race, and 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 along with an assessment of Rivera's first term, a lot of the interest up there has been in this attempted comeback by Willie Lantigua. And uh, uh, he not only was out of office, he was out of the country for a while, back in the Dominican Republic. 
but uh, it seems that uh, that Willie is back. Is that uh, fair to say? Yeah, he sure is. Uh, you know, what I was hearing on the street in Lawrence when I was reporting that story is that uh, people should take Willie seriously. That's what everyone calls him there. And, uh, you know, as, as much as maybe people outside Lawrence might be scratching their heads that, you know, people are willing to give him a second chance, uh, given what was a pretty uh, steady uh, drumbeat of scandals when he was in office. Um, that may be surprising to people outside the city, but, you know, it seems like he still has a very loyal base of support in Lawrence, and uh, the election results show that. Um, you know, Rivera was the top vote-getter. He had 43% of the vote, but Lantigua had 33% in a very crowded field, including uh, some candidates, or at least one major candidate, who's probably going to uh, shift all of his, uh, he's going to endorse Lantigua. So, you know, right, not only is the, Lantigua uh, back, but I think, you know, he, his chances, there's going to be, it's going to be a fight in November between Rivera and Lantigua. Right. And I, and I think that, that third candidate you're referring to, I'm guessing, is uh, City Councilor Modesto uh, Maldonado, who, uh, who has been a close ally of Lantigua's, was in the race yesterday, finished fourth, but I think, uh, you know, cleared about a thousand votes or so. So that's a pretty sizable uh, uh, bit of backing. And, you know, there's always a question in these kind of things, whether those votes are transferable to all right. his supporters go to go to his guy. Yeah. But it, uh, it, it, I think you're right. It probably has got to be a little bit unsettling for Rivera, even though, you know, he was, he was the clear winner yesterday. And talk, Ted, just talk a little bit about what what it what the sources of vulnerability are for Rivera. In your story, you talked about uh, him bringing a, you know sort of a sense of stability to city government that that a lot of people thought was lacking under Lantigua. Yet there still was sort of a, an undercurrent of of discontent, and some of it, 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 it interestingly, I'd, I'd love to hear you talk a little more about that. Actually, kind of uh, uh, came along issues of, of kind of race and ethnicity, uh, even though both, you know, Lantigua and Rivera are Dominican, uh, that, that was a clear kind of theme in your story. What's, what's that, what's that dynamic that's, uh, uh, that's always, you know, been present in, for a number of decades in Lawrence politics? Yeah. So I think, uh, those contrasts that we saw leading up to the preliminary are going to be even starker and more dramatic in the general election. Um, you really do, and uh, I think you kind of put your finger on it, you know, both Rivera and Lantigua are Hispanic, um, and uh, Lantigua is Dominican, Rivera is half Dominican. But there is this real kind of divide between um, Lantigua being a kind of uh, populist, man of the people, and certainly, you know, he's in some ways a, a hero to the Hispanic population because he was, he was the... Um, he was the person who really made inroads as a political leader in Lawrence um, and really vaulted himself uh, into the uh, political establishment. And uh, Rivera really doesn't have that. Rivera is much more associated with the mainstream political establishment in Massachusetts, and um, uh, including, uh, we should say, Governor Baker. Um, and that was one interesting thing uh, that came out, reportedly Governor Baker uh, made some robocalls on behalf of Rivera uh, ahead of the preliminary, you know, that, that may, may, help, may or may not have helped him, but 
one could very well see it being a liability in the general because it's going to you know, very much allow uh, Rivera's critics to paint him as you know, someone who's very close with sort of the white political establishment in the state, but very out of touch with you know, the, the problems, the severe problems facing you know, the, a lot of people in Lawrence. Right. And that was, uh, you know, and it's not just, uh, you know, Governor Baker, but he's Rivera's had had support sort of across the political spectrum among, as you say, kind of white political leaders. Uh, I think, you know, Congresswoman Nikki Songus has been pretty uh, positive toward his uh, tenure. Uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren uh, and sort of down down the list, he was sort of, you know, the guy who they thought was bringing, you know, sort of you know, so Lantigua was the first uh, Hispanic elected mayor there, but Rivera was kind of the guy who kind of maintained that sort of changing of the guard with Hispanic leadership there, but in a way that a lot of the established order found a lot more palatable and acceptable. You know, Lantigua was basically kind of a roguish figure. There was comparisons made uh, between him and, uh, you know, James mm-hmm. Michael Curley from back in the day in Boston, but, but a lot of people right. uh, feel like you know, those kind of characters are, are sort of, you know, or should be vestiges of the past. Yeah. And so there was, there was a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of rallying around Rivera by the established, established folks. Yeah. Lantigua was, was sort of like Curly minus the convictions. Um, <laughs> he, you know, he's never, he's never been convicted of anything. There was never j- jail time. There, were, there was a lot of investigation, sort of a lot of smoke. And then some of the people in his administration, I believe, were convicted. And I think another interesting distinction is that Lantigua pulled better in the north of the city where it's more heavily Latino, whereas um, Rivera did better in the predominantly white precincts in the south, which, you know, are, are more politically powerful and sort of more have more vested interest in sort of the business of city government as well. Right. And that's I mean, that is sort of, again, the undercurrent that as Ted's story's story reported it, that uh you know, in this face-off between two Latino candidates, there's no question that the sort of, you know, the, the, the white establishment in Lawrence was uh, was going to be behind behind Rivera. So, yeah. um, what is it? I mean, what's your sense, Ted, of what this means going forward to November? When uh, uh, I don't know, if, you know, presumably there'll be a larger turnout, and uh, and uh, you know, Lantigua now, I guess, in theory, has the ability to try to coalesce some of the supporters of other candidates, you know, that didn't support Rivera. There's always this idea that, that the people who were, they were all kind of broadly voting for a change, even if they hadn't settled on the same candidate. I think it, I think it is going to be a very close race. Um, and I think, uh, you know, Maldonado, um, the fourth place finisher is already signaled he's, he's a strong ally of Lantigua, that he's going to uh, endorse him. Um, I suspect that does, will count for something. Um, I think, you know, a lot of voters in Lawrence are, they, they have a strong bond to their candidate. Um, there's another candidate, uh, Jaime Jorge, who surprised a lot of people and finished third with 10%. Um, we don't know, you know, what, uh, where he's going to go, but he's, Clearly uh, a critic of Rivera. He actually works for him. He works in the public works department. But, um, you know, he's, he's something of a, a kind of whistleblower. And, uh, you know, if, if both of those guys, if, if they're, you know, I know this isn't a 
mathematical formula, but if, you know, if, if their voters went to Lantigua, um, you know, that would, uh, that would certainly push them over the support that Rivera got in the preliminary. So, um, you know, we'll see. There is most certainly uh, a real money advantage that Rivera has, uh, to be more specific. Rivera has money and Lantigua doesn't, at least according to his campaign account. Um, so, so there is that. Yeah. That's Absolutely. a pretty big difference. But I don't, you know, how much does money count in a, in a small, compact city uh, like Lawrence, the same as it would in a, in a, in a race in a bigger city? And, um, you know, and can Rivera kind of take advantage of his money, incumbency, the support of sort of the political establishment? Will that, you know, will that be able to sort of carry him? I don't, we, before we started recording, I was talking to Yahoo and saying, that uh, in a lot of ways the Lawrence race seems more interesting than what may unfold in Boston. And he said, it's always more interesting in Lawrence. Um, and I guess this, this, this is the case yeah, uh, for this race as well. Most certainly. Yeah, in politics, absolutely. Right. And so let's just shift back to Boston, Yahoo, and, and, the, and the race here before we, uh, you know, write it off uh, completely. Uh, you know, I guess one question is, is there you know, is there, a, is there a silver lining or any good news in here for Tito Jackson other than he did, in fact, you know, kind of clear the first hurdle, which was to make it, make it in the final. So he's there now, I think a lot of people might say, and certainly history of the last, you know, 60-plus years would say, you know, he's, he's won the right to uh, be the roadkill for the incumbent mayor. Well, I mean, I think similar to Lawrence, right? So a um, higher percentage of whites vote in the preliminary than people of color. Um, and that's certainly the case in Boston. I, I mean, I'm assuming that's the case in Lawrence. Um, so Tito should see his numbers go up in the general. Um, the, other, the other thing is like that, you know, Walsh has gotten a free pass on debates. And, you know, uh, Jackson presumably hasn't had as much money to get his message out there. Um, I think that the news media is not going to let Walsh slide on debates in the next in the coming weeks. We're, you know, I think we're going to see um, there's an expectation of more than one debate. And I think that you know the issues that that Jackson tapped into, um, you know, funding for the schools, uh, the the issue of uh, inequality in Boston. So, you know, Walsh is presiding over the biggest building boom, but you know what we're seeing is a lot of like you know. Um, three thousand dollar studio apartments and one bedrooms with, um, you know, hipsters moving in to work in high tech jobs, and now he's saying like, let's bring Amazon here, you know, and if you look at who works for Amazon, like predominantly like young single white males, and then you look at who's in the city, and it's fifty percent people of color, lots of families. Um, I think there's a lot of anxiety, and I certainly heard that from some of the voters, including voters in Walsh's, um, you know, polling place, who were saying like, "I don't like the direction the city's going in." So, I mean, if if Jackson is able to, like, you know, get you know, bring those issues to the fore through debates and you know other means, I'm not sure how, like, you know, then he's got a chance. Certainly has a chance to um, expand his share and come out of this looking stronger. Mm-hmm. And what about the the issue of race here? I, you know, I think there's been a lot a lot made of the fact that this is the first time since 1983 when Mel King faced off against Ray 
Ray Flynn, that, that uh, minority candidate has made it in the final election. It's, you know, obviously it's a, sort of a hugely different city in many ways. In other ways, people might say, may say not as not that much has really changed. Uh, you know, how, how, how does that play out now in this race in 2017? I mean, I think the, the Flynn um, uh, uh, King race was was, you know, way more polarizing. And, you know, it was a very different city. I think most of the people who are voting now probably weren't in Boston during that race. And so, yeah, I mean, I think like Walsh's people are saying that he won in a, in a, in the vast majority of the of the precincts that are predominantly people of color in Boston. Um, you know, now that could, you know, that could change in the final again with more people of color turning out. Um, I think, I think race is way less of a factor though, this time around. I mean, if you look at Walsh's administration, there are more people of color, um, in his administration right now. Um, although, although I have to say for Flynn though, um, you know, his campaign was fairly white, but when he came into office, he, he, he made, um, more appointments and more hires, um, you know, than ever before of people of color. You had people like Felix Arroyo, um, you had, you know, uh, David Cordillera, like you had for the first time you had people of color taking on major roles in the administration. So, you know, Walsh is continuing with that, but, um, yeah, it's up in the air. I mean, you know, it's, I think a lot's going to depend on how Tito plays it. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, another thing that, that I'm struck by, that there is a little bit of parallel from that 83 race, which I was I was around for, only just barely, uh, and that is that I've seen in, in the Walsh campaign and in a lot of the ads they've run, some of their web, uh, longer web, web, web videos, uh, I mean, they are just filled with, people of color. Uh, and, and it's almost, uh, like he's, I think really kind of giving a big bear hug to the minority community and very mindful of, of trying to, uh, uh, focus, focus there. And, and I think, you know, I think he really desperately does not want to see a final election tally that, that looks, you know, really fractured or divided by race. And, uh, and, and I just remember in the, you know, once the final election came in 83, you know, Flynn was sort of similarly campaigning. Now, it was a really different dynamic, and it was an open seat, so there was no kind of benefit of incumbency, and Mel King just ran away with the vote in minority precincts uh, in, in that race. And there were a lot fewer people of color in the city as a proportion of the population at that time, so you know, he still got beat two to one. Um, and, and then, you know, Flynn did have the, um, you know, he did have uh, campaign literature, you know, showing him with people of color. Um, and he got hit for it because he was, he was distributing that in the black community, whereas in, you know, white precincts, he was putting out campaign literature that had no black people in it. Um, I'm not sure that whether Walsh is doing the same thing at this time. But I mean, I think what's clear to a lot of folks is that Walsh wants to come out of this strong um, and there's a lot of speculation that, you know, he might run for governor, that he might run for, you know, higher office, and that he wants to demonstrate that he has Boston locked down. And it also makes him stronger as a, uh, as a political entity, um, you know, in statewide elections that, you know, if he has a commanding, such a commanding lead in the city, um, you know, it just makes him somebody who other um, elect people going for elected office or higher offices have to come to for, um, for support. And one thing I've wondered about in Jackson's campaign so far is, you know, when he at his kickoff, he talked about this incredible, uh, 
disparity in life expectancy only a few miles apart between uh, you know folks in Roxbury versus the Back Bay. And again, it was really part of his you know populist theme, the themes of inequality. But it sort of struck me that as 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 much truth as there may be to that, that you know th- that that was an appeal to his base. And you know, I, I wondered uh, not that not that everybody's sort of just totally driven by self-interest, but what was there in that message for voters in the Back Bay or more affluent parts of the city? And you know, a lot of people have talked about the race from four years ago when Marty Walsh beat John Connolly, and sort of how do you kind of begin to cobble together those Connolly voters and Connolly had strength in various parts of the city, but one area was said to be, you know, more affluent, sort of the downtown voters. He won Back Bay, he won West Roxbury, whereas Walsh was doing better in the more working class parts of the city. And I don't think that that Walsh's support in the working class parts of the city has eroded. I mean, one area where he may have some vulnerability is among like public school parents who who are upset about the way um, you know, the schools are being funded. There were a, a number of student walkouts last year. I think there were three major student walkouts and lots of protests. They picketed his, um, his State of the City address in January. So, um, you know, the, I don't think it's going to break out um, necessarily on income, but, um, you know, probably more so, um, you know, in, in different areas, uh, you know, school parents, school supporters. I mean, who knows? I mean, you know, we haven't had the the, the opportunity to like really drill down on what the results were um, precinct by precinct. We're going to be doing that in the next few days. So, all right, it's been a great talk. Onward to November. We'll see what happens uh, in, in both Lawrence and, and in Boston. So, Yawu Miller, senior editor from the Bay State Banner, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Michael. See you on the campaign trail. All right. And Ted Seifer, uh, contributing writer here for us at Commonwealth. Thanks. Thanks, Ted, to you, too. My pleasure. And you have been listening to another installment of the Codcast from Commonwealth Magazine. I'm Michael Jonas. You can subscribe to the Codcast via iTunes or SoundCloud. Uh, Thanks again to everyone for listening. We'll see you next time. Mm